Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Orchestra. Thank you, Brass. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Joshua chapter 2. We'll thank our Brass Ensemble for that. That was such a blessing. Amen? And we're looking forward to the Easter musical and our choir singing and the orchestra performing for that and uh, the Lord working through that on Saturday night, March 31st, Sunday morning, April 1st. Hebrews, excuse me, actually keep your finger in Joshua 2, but go to Hebrews 11.31. 11, Hebrews 11.31. We're looking at a, a book that emphasizes faith, the chapter of faith, and uh, what the power of faith can do in our lives. Notice Hebrews 11.31, and then we're going we're gonna to read that, and then we're going to come back to Joshua chapter 2. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Would you read that together with me? By faith, the harlot Rahab Perish not with them that believe not when she'd received the spies with peace. Joshua chapter 2, would you go with me to verse 8? Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, this is the spies we read about in Hebrews eleven thirty one. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give us a, give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if you utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the lamb that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And verse 15, then she let them down by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall. This morning, we are shifting off of Joshua for just a minute, even though we're in the book of Joshua. And the Holy Spirit chose to put the spotlight on one particular woman. And this woman's name is Rahab. And Rahab is mentioned both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Rahab pictures for you and I the glory of God working through a faith that trusts in Him. And as we've been on a series for the entire year about believing and having faith in God, I believe Rahab's life challenges you and me about the kind of faith that pleases God. And this morning, I want to preach you a message entitled, Remarkable Rahab. And I want us to be inspired this morning from this woman's testimony, her life, her choices, her changes that happened in her life. And may the Lord help us this morning to just, to just work in our hearts and that He will be glorified. And if you're a visitor and guest this morning, we just ask that you follow with us as we preach through the Word of God today. And we trust that your heart will be encouraged today as we look at this woman by the name of Rahab. Now, Lord, today we are very thankful for a God in heaven who loves us. We thank you for the master plan of God that's contained in John 3.16. We thank you, Lord, that in that one verse summarizes that you are the author of salvation. Not only are the author of salvation, but you have an action plan for salvation. But not only that, you emphasize the acceptance by faith in your son, Jesus Christ, in order to be saved. And Rahab teaches us lessons for those who are not believers as of yet, and for those of us who are believers of the importance of following through with our faith. And today, Lord, you know our weaknesses, you know our fears, you know, Lord, today the challenges that many face. I look in the faces of 
of, of the people that you've allowed me to pastor and uh, people who are new to our church. And I'm reminded today that there's so many concerns and so many burdens and and uh, so many things going on in our lives. And Lord, we need to hear from you today. We need your touch on upon our lives. And I pray this morning you touch my life and touch my tongue and touch the words that come forth from me, that they would minister to your people, that it would feed their their souls, would touch their lives, would give them an answer for this moment, it would be water for a dry life. And we pray today that the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ be made very evident in every life today. May we approach the service this morning with the idea that there's something special you have for each of us today. And as Lord, as the word of God is being opened up to us, help us to receive it with gladness. Help us to receive it with cheerfulness. Help us to receive it as hungry souls in need of, Lord, a, a, a satisfaction from heaven. And through all of this today, for every decision to be made, we pray that you'll be honored and glorified. We pray all these things of you, Nora, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week, we, we, we really got into the book of Joshua, chapter, Joshua chapter 1, and seeing the challenge that God gave to Joshua and taking the reins and the leadership baton from Moses. Moses had passed on, and God had ceded to him that leadership, and he was now to take the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, where he's going to conquer it. And part of our series as we go through Joshua, we're just going to excitedly see how the Lord uses Joshua to conquer Canaan, and how it's a picture for you and I, how there's much more to be uh, to, gra- to grasp, there's much more for us to <coughs> take advantage of about the Christian life. And as we do so, God doesn't want you just to be content with just a prayer of faith and asking Jesus into your heart. God wants all of us to go into that promised land, to seize that promise of inheritance and clay hold of the promises of God and realize there's some great blessings God has for all of us. And you'll notice in Joshua 1 verses 10 and 11 that as Joshua received received this word of encouragement. Three times God told him to be strong and to be good courage. He says, I know you feel overwhelmed. And I know you feel like this is bigger than you. And I know you feel like the shoes you've been asked to fill are much larger than you are able to fill them. But he says, Moses, I'm, he said, Joshua, I'm with you. And he said, be strong and of a good courage. And notice Joshua, as he takes, takes hold of this challenge in verses 10 and 11, this is what the Bible says about Joshua's immediate response to the, to the calling of God. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the hose and command the people saying, prepare you victuals and others prepare you food for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go and to possess the land which the Lord your God give you to possess it. And I want you to kind of look at the timeline for a minute before I get in the message. Joshua's accepted the baton. He's taken hold of the leadership reins. He's a little bit He's a little bit fearful, but he's filled with the courage of God. And he stands before all the elders and the leaders of Israel. And there's a lot of them. And he's standing before three million people. And he says to the leaders, he says, listen, guys, he says, I want you to get your food ready. Get your lunch baskets ready. Get your food ready. He said, in three days from now, three days from this point of time, we're going to get over the Jordan River. Okay. And he said, we're going to get over the Jordan River and you're going to claim that land that you've heard about for 40 years. And he says, we're going over that river and we're not coming back. We're going over that river there and we're going to claim it there. And he's telling you guys get ready for it because some big things going to happen there. Well, with that being said, on that same day, we get down to chapter two of, of, of Joshua. And in chapter two on the same day, Joshua commissions two men. They're called spies. They're sent to do a surveillance, if I could call it that, a surveillance of the land of the first city they're going to conquer. And the very first city they will conquer is a city called Jericho. You've got to remember they're on the east side of the uh, they're the east side of things, and they're gonna they're gonna cross over eventually to go to Jericho. But these spies make their way over into there, and these spies come into the city of Jericho. And the stories we look at this morning, which is a true story about these two men, we don't really know their names. But we know one thing, they went in there obeying the commandment of Joshua. They went in there to search out the land, to find out exactly what is the, what is the temperament of the people there, what's going on there, so they could give a report kind of how tall are the walls and all those types of things. And these men of all things, the home that they come to is the home of a woman by the name of Rahab. And there on that night as they're there, it would be a life-changing moment for Rahab. Not for the men, but for this woman Rahab. And tonight we're going to see... What happened in this woman's life? How her life was changed? We're going to look at something that stands out about this woman. In Hebrews 11.31, it states, states one thing that's very important about this woman. It says, by faith... 
the harlot Rahab. It's her faith that is magnified. When we go through the Bible, we find that Rahab's faith is incredibly magnified. In James chapter 2, verse 25, as we'll see in a little bit here, the Bible talks about Rahab, that by her faith, she was, her faith was justified by her works when she sent out the spies another way. We're going to see this woman, Rahab, was a woman of powerful faith. Not just a faith that initiated itself by believing on Jesus Christ as her Savior, but a faith that went beyond that and lived for God. And she's mentioned here in the hall, the hallway of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11 by her, by her steps that she had for the Lord. So notice this morning, we want to look at this woman who I call remarkable Rahab. Because as we start this story, she's anything but remarkable. She's anything but some, you would call, you would not call this woman a heroine. You would not have called this woman someone special or role model. But she becomes a role model for us because of her faith in the Lord. Would you notice four things this morning very quickly about our passage of scripture? First of all, would you notice in this passage, we see Rahab and her sinful fame. Notice in chapter 2, verse 1, we begin this way. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged her. Hebrews 11:31. By faith, the harlot Rahab. None about you. I'm used to reading the scripture, but I had to stop for a moment. Just think about it. What an introduction. She is introduced as the harlot Rahab. That's not necessarily a very nice way to introduce somebody. And it's, uh, it's, it speaks down to the person's character to that degree. But it speaks as, first of all, in looking at this woman in terms of what she was reputed for, of her past, of her life. And she's what I call, we're looking this morning at her, her at her sinful fame. First of all, what you notice as we get into chapter 2, this woman had an unsavory character. To be calling her a harlot speaks about a character that is not very good. A harlot is another word for a prostitute. It speaks of someone who sells their, sells themselves for a profit. They would, they step beneath what is considered dignified. That is a person of low self-respect. And she sells her. And this woman is of an unsavory character. But some things stand out to us. Notice in verse 1, we find out that she lives in the city called Jericho. Now this woman was, we can call her a woman of unsavory character. First of all, because she was born into a pagan country. She was a pagan by tradition. This woman was born into a pagan city. The land, the city of Jericho was one of many cities that populated the area called Canaan. Canaan was populated by people that were idol worshippers, people that were very far from God. As you read, make, make, your, make your way reading through Numbers and you read through Deuteronomy, you read about the fact that Israel had to conquer some, uh, some, some obstacles along the way, some people along the way. And these people they had to conquer were people that were Canaanites. Canaanites were pi- pagan people. They were idol worshippers. You say, Pastor Fong, what's wrong with an idol worshipper? Well, we consider the Canaanites, their descent from Nimrod from Genesis chapter 10, they had gone through several iterations to the place where their form of idolatry and worship was very, very wicked and very, very sensual. The Canaanites, if you want, the people of Jericho, their primary worship was a goddess by the name of Ashtoreth. And they would have the, they would have their shelf gods everywhere and these statues made up. And uh, the whole the whole idea of the whole nation in that city of Jericho revolved itself around the worship of this woman by the, this, this goddess by the name of Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was a moon goddess associated with those well, idol worship were practices that we are unmentionable to some degree here, uh, practices that were immoral in nature and encourage immoral living. And basically, you can tell a pagan nation by many things. One of the things you can notice about a pagan nation, you know a nation's pagan by its art, by its statues, by the books that it has, by things that are open display, by things that they're not ashamed of. Immorality was rampant among these Canaanite nations. They did not blush. They had no shame for the things that they practiced and that they did. And the things they practiced and did were things that were that were against what God what God would advocate there. And pagan cultures worship a God that fits their imaginations. And pagan cultures reject any idea of a sovereign Holy Creator God. If you'll turn to Romans chapter 1, you'll notice in Romans chapter 1 how the Holy Spirit of God in chapter 1 of Romans presents to us and describes a pagan culture. 
In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, if you'll follow with me this morning as I read this today, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible men and to birds and four forfeited beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now I can park there and take you the next two hours and I'm not going to do that. Aren't you glad about that this morning? Amen. But I could take the next two hours and describe to you that's exactly what's going on with American culture. Go around the city of San Leandro and I'm not talking down the city of San Leandro. But you go to the city of San Leandro, we've got artwork that's up that somewhat, to me, is pornographic in nature. You go to the average museum that's out there, and most of the stuff that they will call art, I would call pornography. You've got statues that are up there that are, are no different than the statues of Venus and Asheroth and people like that they had back at that time. And listen, this woman by the name of Rahab belonged to a pagan culture. God was far from their mind. They knew there was a God. You say, how did they know, Pastor Paul? Because the Bible tells us the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth hand. Hey, look what we just read in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 just tells us that God, God told, they know inside them that there's a God. Let me tell you something this morning. You say, well, Pastor, I am I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic, whatever there. And you know, in all the due respect to you, let me tell you something. You are not an animal. Animals don't have a conscience. People are born with a conscience. Where did that conscience come from? From God. And that conscience is that your ability to discern between right and wrong. That's what Romans chapter 1 is telling us there. And they take, and a pagan culture gets to the place where it takes a God, takes the God of heaven and brings him down to the level of man. Listen, our, our, the whole concept of a pagan nature, of a pagan culture is to bring God to the level of man. No, no, no. What, what God wants us to do is bring man up to the level of God. So we're looking here at a woman who was born into pagan tradition. All she knew was to worship of Asherah. All she knew was immoral behavior. I mean, that's all she grew up into. And listen, parents, I don't know the last time some of you got your kids in public schools. I don't know when's the last time you've been into the public school system, but you probably need to just pack a lunch and go there Monday through Friday, and you'll be, you'll be just very shocked at the things going on in the public school system. Our own public school systems here in San Leandro, we had a lockdown, from what I understand, at San Leandro High this week. We had a lockdown, I believe, also at John Muir Middle School. I mean, that is now the norm. That is not the exception in our schools. We're in a situation just like this woman by the name of, uh, this, by the name of Rahab. She, she was born into pagan tradition. But notice something else. This woman was not only a pagan by tradition. She was a prostitute by trade. Look at the Bible says here, God unapologetically calls her what she really is. God says she was Rahab the harlot. Now, there was no glory in the fact that she did this, but she sold herself. She sold her body in order to make a profit. I think a lot of encouragement from that came from the traditions and the pagan culture she was in. And I'm not going to talk down on that, but you can go to Proverbs chapter five and Proverbs chapter six and Proverbs chapter seven. And it talks about this type of this type of uh, this type of woman there. And it calls her the strange woman. The word strange meaning that she is. She's ventured away from that which is normal and she's ventured away from that which she was taught by her mothers and by her father in terms of the kind of life that she should live there. And this woman was made, made these choices. All I'm saying this morning, this woman was living in a situation. She had an unsavory character. She was a sinner by nature. God is magnifying the fact that she was a sinner. And may I remind us this morning, all of us are sinners. We could look down on a Rahab and we could get our self-righteous noses so high up in the air we forget about the fact it's not just someone who's down that low in their life. We have to realize that all of us are sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I believe God is just as upset with the, with the, with, with the self-righteous pharisaicalness of someone who's very religious and has their nose up in the air and says, look at, I carry my Bible and I come to church, but you're not saved, you're not born again. It doesn't matter you go to church and it doesn't matter that you, that you carry a Bible. If you've never repented of your sins and asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, you're no different than this woman by the name of Rahab the harlot. So we see a woman with unsavory character, but you notice something else. She was lived in a city that was under universal condemnation. 
Now you read through the book of Deuteronomy, and God made very clear over and over again, all the cities of Canaan will be overtaken. Now, a lot of times people read the book of Joshua and they'll say this, and, and we've all said this. They'll say something like this. Wow. God must have been pretty angry at these people. What kind of God is that that he would kill off these people? I mean, certainly they can't be that bad. Why would that be? Well, you know, this is a picture. What, what happens here in Canaan is a picture of God's condemnation on our world. And these nations, you have to understand something. We'll see in this in just a minute. These nations, they knew about the God in heaven. Listen to what Rahab's testimony is in just a minute. And these nations had opportunity just by innately knowing there's a God in heaven. Innately, they could have turned to God. Because Romans chapter 1 says that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And that which may be known of God is inside them. But they chose not to turn to God. And so these nations, their practices became more violent. Hey, let me tell you, you follow pagan cultures, they're not getting better. They get worse. They invent things that are just out of the imagination. There's an evil imagination. Hey, you read, you read Genesis chapter 6, and the reason why God sent a flood is because God was grieved in his heart that the imagination of man's heart was from his youth continually. And I'm not, I'm not glamorizing evil. I'm just trying to help understand something. That as we look at this, this, this woman, she lived in a city. It was the very first city that was on God's list. They had opportunity to repent and turn towards God. In fact, two spies were there. None of those people in that city readily received those spies except for the fact Rahab did. Because they knew who these men were. They said, hey, we've heard some spies from Israel. Came. Well, everybody knew about Israel. They knew about the God of Israel. They knew about, as we'll see in a minute, they knew about the parting of the Red Sea. They knew about God doing all those things. And they knew about that. And that's in the parting of the Red Sea is a picture of salvation. They knew about those things, but they refused to accept those things. And this city was under universal condemnation, like all the cities of Canaan. And as we work our way through this, this book of Joshua, we're going to find out there's 30 plus cities that are all overtaken by Joshua. In fact, we'll read over there in chapter 10 of Joshua, how he takes five kings out and he puts his feet, he tells his captains to put their feet on their necks to show that they've been conquered foes. And I remind you today that we are living in a world that's under the condemnation of God. God has to punish sin. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. No matter how good you may think you are or how good I may think I am, none of us have enough righteousness in ourselves to appease God. And so we look at this and the Bible says for the wages of sin or the payment for sin or the consequences for sin is death. And so this woman is in a situation where she's living in a city where there's universal condemnation in store. We start off, we see this one Rahab. She's not a... She's an unsavory character. This is woman, Rahab, she and that city alike are under universal condemnation. But notice the second thing very quickly this morning. We see this woman and her sin, and it speaks to us about our sinful nature. But would you notice the second thing this morning? Would you notice this? And I'm glad there's hope, aren't you? Because all we did was dwell on sin, and there's no hope for, if that's all we did, and didn't tell you what the hope is in Jesus Christ, we'd be, of all men, most miserable. But I'm going to tell you, even though we see a woman who's a, of unsavory character and her sinful fame, I'm thankful to tell you this morning as we read Joshua chapter 2, we see this woman and her saving faith. Because what comes out to us, we read again in Hebrews 11 verse 31, by faith, this woman, by faith, Rahab, perished not with them that believed not. I want you to see some things about the faith of this woman by the name of Rahab. We want to see saving faith. We want to know what does it mean to be saved. You see, this morning, all of us are born with sin. The Bible says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. All of us are born with a sin nature, like it or not. And our sin nature is why we have the sufferings and the ills of this world. And we have the temptations that we have. And that's why we ultimately will will die in this life. And the most important question we must face is that that where, when we die, where will we spend eternity? The Bible says it is appointed a man once to die, and after this is the judgment. And may, death is no respecter person. It doesn't matter how much money a person has. It doesn't matter how much fame a person has. What it really comes down to, when that moment comes, do we know for sure that we're going to heaven? And so this woman, Rahab, we read here that the spies came into the city and these two men come in and they come with the business to do a surveillance. And I want to tell you this morning, these two men re remind me of just what, what a so winning ministry of a church is all about. Yeah. 
These two men follow the command of Josh and going into that city to go there to survey things. And, you know, every now and then, soul winners will survey a street and survey an area. But while they're there, she recognized very quickly, as we see chapter 2, she recognized very quickly as they came to her home that there was something different about these men. There was something different about their, their, the accent and their language. And there was something different, the accent of their tongue. There was something different about their skin tone. There was something different about the, the way they dressed. They didn't dress like the people of Jericho dressed. And they came with a... With a she could tell there's something different about they she could tell these men were not pagans like our city there and she took these men and she knew immediately that these were men of israel and the fame of all israel was very present there notice some things that must be present for saving faith you say pastor what is saving faith saving faith is recognizing that you are a sinner on the way to hell and that faith alone in jesus christ is the only means by which you can be saved so notice some things we read about this woman here as we look at her saving faith. Notice, first of all, she was alertly cognizant. She receives these men into her home and, and the elders of the city find out that these men have come in. And so they come to her and they say, hey, we heard there's these two spies there. And she knew that they would be found out because her home was right. Right as you enter the city of Jericho, her home was right there, was right inside the wall on the top there. And people saw them come in. They knew these men were not citizens of Jericho. And, and word got out, these must be men of, of, of Israel that came. And they knew about Israel. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And so she immediately recognized, well, these men are in danger. And I've got to take them up to somewhere where they can't be found. So she takes them up to the top of the roof. And she hides them. She puts some flax over them and hides them. And she goes back down. And she does something that's very bothersome. As the elders of Jericho ask her about who these men were, she actually tells them a lie. Oh, yeah, these men came, but, uh, you know, I sent them out another way. They went out. Hey, you need to go outside the city walls and go pursue them. And she tells a lie to them. She does what pagans do. But her conscience is bothering her because she says, well, I've got these men up on the roof and as darkness settled. She goes back to the roof because she says, you know what? I have an unfinished conversation with these men. These men came with a purpose and a meaning. And you'll notice here as we get to here, notice go to verse 9. The Bible says, verse 8, we find this woman, Rahab, was cognizant, was she was alertly cognizant of the mission of these men. The Bible says, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you. And when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the the Amorites, they were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Hey, listen, when you read verses 10, 11, and 12, listen, 9, 10, 11, this woman was alertly cognizant of a God in heaven. She wasn't saying, well, you know, I, is this true? Whatever. She heard, look at, look at it again. Verse 10. She said, listen, verse 9. She says, I know that the Lord has given you land. She said, we've heard about you. The message came. How did the message go down? Hey, everybody in Canaan land heard about what God did, how the Egyptians were overthrown. Word spread immediately about how a God in heaven wiped out the Egyptian army. They heard about how this, this, this multitude of three million Jews assembled there at the, at the waters of the Red Sea and the waters were overflowing and it was impossible for any man to swim across and it was impossible for any man to walk across. There was no way. And they had all this, these people here. They had these babies and young ones and, and Elderly people and people that were crippled that could not make their way across her. And behind them, they couldn't go back because the Egyptian army was there. And the Bible describes that location as the being that Israel was shut in. They felt like they were shut in, just like a lot of us feel that we have a problem and a difficulty. And the doctors don't have an answer. And the lawyers don't have an answer. And people don't have an answer. And we feel like we're shut in with our problem. We feel like there's no way out. And listen, at many of that time, God made a way for Israel. And God opened up the Red Sea. Let me tell you today, maybe you're in a situation right now in your life, you feel like you're shut in. You feel like the problem's got you contained. You feel like you're being squeezed. You feel like you're the baloney between two pieces of bread. Amen. And you feel like you're shut in. But let me tell you, where, where you're shut in and where the problems are greatest, that's where God goes to work. And God makes a way for you and me. 
God made a way for them and God opened the door and listen, God opened that Red Sea. And when God did so, he sent a wind that came from the east and from the south, from the north, and the wind started blowing. May I remind you today, it's been our prayer for this service, that the Holy Spirit of God, the wind of heaven, would blow into your soul and it would blow into your mind and your thoughts. The fact that there is a God in heaven who saves and there is a God in heaven who can make a way and there is a God in heaven who loves you and there is a God in heaven who's concerned about where you're going to spend eternity and there is a God in heaven that's concerned about your next step as a Christian there. So the wind of heaven blew, and as the wind, that wind of heaven blew, listen, the waters parted hither and thither. And it parted wide enough so three million people could walk across. And not only did it part the waters, but it dried the seabed. It was not a muddy seabed. They walked across the dry shot, and every single Jew, even though they were scared, and even though they were fearful, they made their way across because God made a way. And as the very last Jew came over there, they were all saved because they had faith in the word of Moses. They had faith in the God of heaven that he would make a way. And as soon as the last Jew made his way over the other side, guess what happened to the Egyptian army that came across here? The Egyptian army made their way there. They didn't have a desire to have a faith in God. They had a different agenda in mind. And that same parting of the Red Sea, which provided salvation for Israel, became the judgment of those who were from Egypt. I can remind you of the cross of Jesus Christ. It calls us to get saved. It calls you. Jesus, who died on that cross, invites everyone to receive him as Savior. That same cross on which Jesus died offers the gift of eternal life to everyone who believes on him. But for those who do not, the same cross that offers salvation, that same cross will judge you because you refuse to accept the fact that your sins were judged on that cross. And so everyone there in Jericho heard about this. Look again in verse 10. For we have heard. Now, this doesn't talk like a like a skeptical pagan. OK. She's we've heard how the Lord, capital L. Jehovah. The Lord of the covenant to Israel. We've heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. Listen, two of the kingdoms that were greatly feared among all the Canaanite nations were the kings of Og and Sihon. And he said, we have heard what God did to those two kings on their, how he utterly destroyed them. And Moses talks about that in Deuteronomy 3 and Numbers, somewhere around Numbers 22 or Numbers 20 to 22 talks about Sihon and Og there. And listen, they said, we have heard this. Listen, the message traveled all the way across Canaan. Everybody heard that God was doing something. Listen, these people, as Romans chapter 1 would say, they they were without excuse. And if she had heard it, what about everybody else in Jericho? This woman was at she was she was alertly cognizant. Listen, this morning. If you're not saved, you know enough to be saved today. Because the Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She was alertly cognizant. But would you notice something else. She was acutely convicted. That's one thing to hear to God's word. But it's a whole different matter when God's word works its way into your heart. It touches your life. It moves your heart. And what you notice in verse 11, her description of what the message did to her. In verse 11, it says, as soon as we had heard these things. What happened to their hearts? Their hearts did melt. It's like wax under the hot sun. A popsicle under a hot sun. Whatever hardness they have, whatever deference they had to their idol gods, it started to melt. And the Bible says here, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because they said, listen, we heard the message about what the God of Israel did for you and your people and how he's preserved you. And we were we've been fearful. That's why we keep we watch these gates here. We're fearful. Eventually, you're going to make your way because we also heard that the God of heaven has promised to give you these lands. We've heard everything that the God of heaven has done. And notice today, she says, our hearts did melt. Neither was there any courage. She was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Remind you today every now and then as the word of god is being preached sometimes we feel a prick in our heart we feel a squeezing of our heart we feel like why is he preaching to me how did he know that that happened to me he didn't know that happened to you the preacher didn't know those that's the holy spirit of god speaking to you and conviction is when the spirit of god meets with us in a service and he comes up and that's god's way becoming personal to you and me amen that's god's way just getting up close to you and me and letting you know listen i just need you to hear this and i just need you to know there's a response i want you to make and i want you to know 
that when I'm telling you something so important, I want to move you to action. Listen, the word of God. Someone said this. One of my preacher friends said this. Truth demands immediacy. And what that means is that when we hear the truth, the word of God, it demands that there is an action on our part, a response on your part and mine. And this woman, Rahab, notice in verse 11, she was acutely caught. She was acutely convicted in her heart. She was greatly convicted that there is a God in heaven and that judgment was coming and the judgment would come her way. And she said, listen, now that I know you're here, I'm very convinced it's coming. She says, I know this and our people know that. But listen, she says, I'm not worried about everybody else. What I'm concerned about is right now you're standing before me. And by the fact that you're very witness, I need to make a response. But notice this woman, she is alertly cognizant and she's acutely convicted. But you notice what happens in her statements here. Again, I'll call your attention to verse 9, 10, 11. I want to tell you, this woman, Rahab, was absolutely converted. She got saved. Amen? She got saved. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this is her confession. This is her statement that she gives to Joshua and the people there. She says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea. She said in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She said in verse 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Hey, what she did basically there, she acknowledged the fact that there's a God in heaven. And she's accountable to that God in heaven. And she says, I know that God is here. And she says something like the Apostle Paul said in Roman, in 2 Timothy 1. 12, I know in whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hey, listen, this woman had a saving faith. She put her faith in the Lord. Can I tell you something very wonderful this morning? You can be saved today. You can be saved right now from your sins. You can have absolute assurance that heaven's your home. You can be certain that if this was your last day on earth, heaven will be your home. You say, Pastor, I've got a disease. Pastor, I've got a sickness. Listen, we all have a disease and we all have a sickness. And that disease of sickness is called sin. And sin will send every person to hell. But I've got good news for you this morning. The Bible says that if thou should confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the mouth, man, for the mouth, the mouth, man confesses unto righteous, and with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. We, we confess with our mouth, and we believe in our heart. And the Bible goes on by saying in Romans ten thirteen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm just saying this morning, we see this woman; she's introduced to us by her by her sinful faith, but we see as things move on, this woman has a saving faith in the Lord. She puts her faith and trust, and tells these men. She acknowledges publicly with her mouth and her lips, "I know that there's a God in heaven, and I know that He's saved, and I know the God that saved you." She says, I believe in the same thing. And then notice verse 12. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since you have showed you, I've showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. She said, just let me know for sure. Just give me that assurance of knowing that I know that, that my belief and faith is good enough to get me to heaven there. This woman had a saving faith. But notice a third thing this morning. We see Rahab who, and her sinful fame. We see Rahab and her saving faith. But I want you to see something else that stands out to us about this passage this morning. Would you notice Rahab was a substantiated follower? Now, there's hardly a service that doesn't go by in Heritage Baptist Church where we're not going to get the gospel message out. And, and uh, very rarely there'll be a time where we don't invite people to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And, and we're making the invitation today. There's some, some of you here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. And we're inviting you today to put your faith in Christ and call on him. But here's the thing. <clears throat> It's easy to pray a prayer. But was there repentance in your heart? You see, this woman was a pagan. For all her life up to that moment, she'd worship Ashtoreth. She sold herself for worldly gain. And by the way, by the way, you have to ask yourself this question. Are you selling yourself out for worldly gain? Something else is more important to you than the Lord is. And so this woman here represents to you and me a faith that not only believes, but a faith that knows how to behave. A faith that's on fire for God. She's substantiated. She's a fire. And there's a lot of people over the years who pray a prayer, but they never go further than that. They just stay as infantile Christians. They stay as new baby Christians. They never progress beyond that. And they rarely, they don't even know the books of the Bible. And they, you say, turn to the gospel of John. They say, is that Old Testament or New Testament? And they're not really sure where that's at. And, and they're struggling along the way. And they, they have the same baseline question. How come I'm struggling in my faith? And how come I'm not growing? And how come the devil's always attacking me? And how come I don't have victory in this and victory in that? And I'll tell you why. Because after you 
believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you need to take that next step with the Lord. This one was a substantiated follower. And I want you to follow some things in this chapter that helps us understand what is a true follower of Jesus Christ all about? Notice, first of all, this woman substantiates a follower because of, her, because of her connection. Would you notice this very interestingly? She tells these men, I believe in the same God that you have. I believe in, the, I believe in what God did there at the Red Sea. And the Red Sea, of course, is a foreshadowing of Christ's death on the cross for our sins and the parting of the waters and God making a way for us there and and she says here, notice in verse 15, 18, 21, she says the first thing she makes mention of, there's a connection. Followers of Jesus Christ recognize that there's a connection. And notice in verse 15, it says, then she let them down by a cord or by a rope through the window for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall. Go down to verse 18, because when we came, but behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst uh, let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father, thy mother and thy brethren, all thy father's household home unto thee. In verse 15, we see Rahab taking a, a scarlet covered rope. It was a woven rope together and she, and she's on top of the wall on there and she just, she drops this rope and it descends from the window at the top to the bottom where the ground is. She descends and she turns, charges these spies. Here's the way out for you. She says, you can't go back out through the gate, but since I'm living on the wall, you can go out the window. It's nighttime now. It's dark. No one can see you. They don't have any spotlights there. There's no torches there where I live just conveniently happens to be a place where they're not looking. She says, you climb out this window, hold on to this rope and I'll let you down. I'll hold the rope on my end and I'll let you down. And they said, that's fine. In verse 18, they acknowledged that. They said, now listen, this same rope we're, we're coming out on, we want you to leave that rope hanging outside your window. The color will identify you from the rest of the population. Mark that down. The rope will identify you from the rest of the population. And then verse 21, she says this, and she said, according unto your words, so be it. And so she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Now watch this this morning. The scarlet line speaks to us so wonderfully about the blood of God's son, Jesus Christ, because of its color and the connection she shows here. She has a connection to these spies. She recognizes she has more than just a connection to their message. She has a connection to the God that she believes in. She's showing by letting down this scarlet robe and helping them down. She's showing that her identification with their mission, with their message, with their God. She's showing identification with her belief with them. She's saying when she lets out that scarlet robe, I believe in that same blood that was shed for your sins that blood was shed for my sins and that blood covers my sin and she's saying you're identified with what's going on here listen the first step you make as a believer in jesus christ is you identify with the lord and his death and his burial and his resurrection you identify with jesus christ you take a step forward as matthew 10 28 or matthew 10 10 32 says and you confess jesus christ you tell your brothers and your sisters in christ through water baptism that you are a believer in jesus christ scriptural baptism is the first method it's the first means where we step out in obedience and telling brothers and sisters in Christ and local church, I identify with Jesus Christ and my Savior. Hey, listen, if you're saved, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You ought to identify with Jesus Christ and who he is. She said, I identify with your message. I identify with this color. I identify with this. And I'm going to remind you today, there's a rope that descends from heaven to earth. And that rope represents Jesus Christ. Are we sure identity by saying, I believe in Jesus Christ and he is my savior. And listen, there's nothing to be ashamed of when we think about Christ. All of us should be saying, thank God that I'm saved. And thank God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I want folks to know, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. And so this woman shows her connection. I want to encourage you this morning for new believers here today in this church. You put your faith and trust in Christ or some you've been saved for many years, but you've yet to take that next step of of obedience, which is scriptural baptism and saying, I identify Jesus Christ as death, burial, resurrection. Listen, then we need to go beyond that. We can be we can be vibrant witnesses for Jesus Christ and letting people know that we're Christians, inviting them to the church and letting them hear the message of Jesus Christ. We show our identification with Jesus. Christ. We show people that I am vitally connected. Listen, that's why church membership is, to, is God's will for every person who gets saved. The next step is you get baptized, you join the church. Why? Because the Bible says they that gladly received the Lord were baptized and added to the church. It's God's will that you're added to the church. It's God's will that you're in the church. It's God's will that you're a vibrant part of the church. It's God's part. It's God's will that you, you're active in the church. That you show your connection to the church. You're not ashamed of your church. You're not ashamed of Jesus Christ. She shows her connections as a follower. Notice the second thing. She only shows her connections as a follower. She shows her commitment as a follower. Look at something else here. 
This woman, she lets these men down by the rope. And notice verse 16, she says, get you up to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned. And afterwards, may you go your way. Now, I'm not really sure that she knew that Joshua told told the men, the elders of the land, uh, 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 the elders of Israel, that in three days they're going to cross over Jordan. But it's kind of interesting that the Lord kind of put in her mind, hey, you just go hide yourself for three days. And by that time, you can you can go out and get out of hiding and go back to Joshua there. And I don't know if she understood all that, but we know one thing. God was in this matter. Amen. And in verse 16, she says, get you up to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned. And afterwards, may you go your way. Now, keep your finger there and go with me to James 2.25. In James 2.25, the faith of Rahab is being magnified now. Not beginning faith, but, but serving faith. Not saving faith, but serving faith. Not beginning faith, but behavioral faith. And notice in chapter, in chapter 2 of James, he's talking about the, the importance that when you believe, faith, faith alone in Christ saves you, but you must go beyond your faith and showing people that your faith is real. You people want to know that your faith is alive. People need to know that your faith is active. People need to know that Jesus is working your life. And so our faith must be accompanied by works. We don't need works to save us, but we need works to demonstrate that we are saved. We demonstrate our citizenship by the language we speak, by the creeds we believe in. But you notice in James 2.25, the Bible says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way. Hey, listen, she was showing commitment at this point in time. She was saying, listen, I, I, listen I'm, putting my, I'm putting my name and my life on the line. You know what she's saying there? For you to receive a spy in your city and not reported to the king or the elders, that would result in capital punishment immediately. And she was saying there, when she took those men and let them down by the rope and told them where to go, basically, if anyone found out in that city that she hid these men, she let them out by the window, she would be accused and guilty of treason without a trial. And being accused of treason, it would be immediate death on her part, a capital punishment. Listen, this woman is showing all, she's showing her true colors. She's showing she's committed to the message. She's showing she's committed to the master. She's showing she's committed to the God of Israel. And I wonder this morning, how many of us would go beyond the point of connection to show our commitment to the Lord? Amen. Our Christianity we have in America is so easy. Christianity in our America is really a, it's a Christianity of convenience more than it is commitment. I'll go if I can make the time. I'll go if this time fits me. I'll do this. I'll do that. Hey, some of us need to go on a missions trip to some of the second and third world countries where people are paying a dear price for their faith in Jesus Christ right now. I think of some of our brethren in restricted access countries right now. Boy, if they broadcast and tell, they tell people that they are, they are Christians. Man, they are in big trouble. We've got a missionary right now we're supporting in Indonesia. One of the major cities there of Indonesia. And they've put together a team. And we support him. And another couple was here uh, two years ago at our missions. Actually, this pastor in our missions conference that are going there. And, and they've got to be very, very careful. Because if they, if, they don't, if they don't do it right, they can get kicked out. I'm thinking about a mission we have in a restricted access nation of Laos. And I'm thinking right now, if anybody found out in those villages that he's a Christian, if those tribal leaders find out, he will be down to be expelled. He might even be killed in the city, in the, in the country of Laos, and they'll never find his body again. I'm saying this morning, this woman showed commitment. She said, it doesn't matter. My life is on the line. She said, I'll let you down. My life for yours. She says, you, you can consider it done. I will not betray you. I will not turn you in. You can kind of consider it that I am committed to this message. She showed she was a follower through her connection. She showed she was a follower through her commitment. But notice something else. She showed she was a follower through her compassion. Notice something else that's very amazing. This is how you know somebody's really saved. She said in verse 12, Now therefore I pray you, swear to me by the Lord, since I've showed you kindness, that you also show kindness into my father's house, and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered, Our life for yours, if you utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. You know what she was saying there? She says, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I just got, I'm a believer of what you believe. I'm not a pagan anymore. I don't identify the pagan creeds. I'm not bowing down to Ashworth anymore. 
I'm not going back to my former lifestyle. I've given up that lifestyle. I know that's my livelihood, but I'm not living down that path anymore. She says, I'm not going to live like that anymore. And she says, I want you to know something. I've got a concern beyond me. I've got a concern for my mother and for my father and my brothers and my sister. Listen, she was filled with godly compassion for people that she did not want to see perish because the judgment of God was upon the city of Jericho, just like the judgment of God is upon this world. And she was concerned that those people that she loved the most would not perish. Hey, listen to me today. Are you concerned about your family members? Are you concerned about family and friends that do not that do not know Jesus Christ as Savior? And should the Lord come tonight, they could spend all of eternity in hell. I think we get so used to hearing that in a Baptist church like this that we kind of lost our concern and we've kind of lost our compassion. But this woman, she got saved and she was filled with compassion. I love what Dr. Dr. Paul Chapel always says about, about compassion. Compassion is your hurt in my heart. This woman substantially was a follower. Did I ever tell you the story about a little girl by the name of Annie Graham? Back in the 1800s, there was a little girl by the name of Annie Graham. Annie Graham was reached with Sunday school ministry of a church on the East Coast and they wanted her to Christ. They brought her to Sunday school and thank God for a loving, concerned Sunday school teacher who took Annie Graham by the side and told her about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Annie Graham put her faith and trust in Jesus and she started coming Sunday after Sunday. And you know, children's Sunday school lessons are very basic and very, so they can understand it. And, and it was a very basic lesson, but each week she was just grasping hold of it and grasping hold of it and, and she felt like there was something going on in her life. And one day she, she asked the usher in the church, she said, listen, I, I don't know the pastor and I see the pastor up there, that big pulpit. I, she says, I feel so scared to approach him. Is there any way, sir, that you can help get me a meeting with the pastor? I want to see the pastor. He said, sure, our pastor would love to see you. And so they arranged for her right after a Sunday morning service to wait outside his office there. It was one of those busy Sunday mornings where, where the pastor had people coming in and out, in and out. And uh, this girl, Annie, was standing, sitting out there in the lobby there. And they said, come on in. And there happened to be two deacons inside of that, inside that room there. And one of the deacons leaned over to the pastor and said, pastor, I understand this girl her name is annie annie is interested in becoming a church member which means she needs to get baptized but i'm not really sure she's old enough to get baptized or she's old enough to understand this and that man and the other man in the office tried to talk the pastor out of seeing her they said pastor you're too busy you don't have time for people like that listen when we get to the place when we think the pastor's too busy to minister people we're in trouble as a church The pastor told him, guys, sit down. Sound familiar? Annie, come on in. You know how little girls are. They, she's in a cute little dress and she's crossing her hands and cross her legs and cross her hands. She's real nervous, you know. What can I do for you, Annie? Well, pastor, I listened to your message these last few weeks. And you said... If we've trusted Jesus Christ our Savior, we need to show that we identify with Him. And I don't really understand what the word identify means, but I know now. It basically means I just know it's telling other people that Jesus is in my heart and I believe on Him and I'm not ashamed of Him. And she said, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm not ashamed of Jesus and if you'll let me, I'd like to get baptized and become a member of this church. Boy, those two deacons got up. They started trying to out-talk the pastor. Said, "You shouldn't. We've never done something like this before. We never baptized anybody in the age of sixteen, and we we don't make sure this little girl understands what she's doing. And I think she's just emotional. She really doesn't understand what she's doing." And the pastor said, "Be quiet, guys." The pastor kneeled down to the little girl like this, put his hand on her head. He said, "Annie, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior?" tears coming down her eyes. She said, Pastor, I can point you to the place where my Sunday school teacher told me about the wonderful love of God. How Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. She says, there in that Sunday school room, in that little chair, I called on the name of the Lord to save me. He said, Annie, do you believe you can lose your salvation? She said, no, sir. Because the Bible says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. She says, I, I just know this. I got a small little hand, but that little hand went into the big hand of God and God's not going to let me go. Amen. Amen. Yes, Pastor said, guys, she's getting baptized next Sunday. But we have a church policy. Policy is not a precedent over the word of God. Come on. She got baptized. They voted in the church and. There was a small segment of the church was murmuring in the background saying, well, I don't think that we've never done it this way before. Well, things kind of just died out after that as far as the pastors. There was a growing church, big church on the East Coast. 
Fifteen months later, somebody comes to the door and says, Pastor, we need to tell you some bad news. He said, what happened? Remember that little girl, Annie? He said, yeah. She said, you know, I noticed she hasn't been to church lately. He said, Annie just passed away. She went home to be with the Lord. He said, what? What do you mean she passed away? He said, yeah, she got some kind of illness, some kind of fever, and she just, she started to languish, and she wasn't getting any better, and she languished. And then they just told us the other day, she just passed away. She went home to be the Lord. Hey, the family wants to know, would you do her homegoing service? And the pastor's heart was smitten inside. He thought, wow. Wow. She's only 11 years old. We don't be the Lord. He said, you tell that family, I will be more than glad to do her service. That was on a Sunday. Listen to me. The service was on a Friday. The pastor's making his way, and he, he didn't expect a large crowd. He thought it was just going to be a little service. He thought, you know, kind of like, we'll just do it somewhere like in the chapel somewhere or a smaller room of the church. And, and listen, the crowds went around the block. Ten-year-old girl, eleven-year-old girl, the crowds went around the block. And he's, he's looking, and, and he saw these people sobbing and crying. And he stopped and went up to this one, one older man. He says, sir, why are you sobbing and crying? Did you know this girl, Annie? He said, did I know her? Did I know her? He said, sir, do you know something? I was sick in bed. I was an invalid for many weeks. And she heard about my situation. And she mustered up whatever she could. And she brought me teas and coffee. And she brought me cookies and things. And she asked her mother to make some food. Listen, that girl brought these things to me. She came and ministered to me the best she could. And along the way, she took one of those gospel tracts that you wrote that tells people how to go to heaven. And she had me read that tract. And I prayed the prayer on the back of that and asked Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. Well, man, the preacher hadn't finished. He just started, hadn't finished it. He went there and he started making his way up the stairs. And he saw a lady that was crying. The lady was stooped over the lady and said, ma'am, did you know Annie Graham? She said, did I know Annie? Listen, look at me. I've got a back problem. I'm in pain most days. And little Annie heard about my situation. Did you know every day of the week she'd come there and she'd bring a little book? And I used to wonder the first time she came what that book was. But she'd come there and she'd read some scripture to me out of that book. And she'd sing some hymns to me out of that book. And she said, that little girl was like an angel sent from heaven to minister to my soul. She says, dude, I know that girl. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, she's the most precious thing that ever happened in my life. Next to getting Jesus in my heart. And the pastor's just, his heart is now is just going like boom, 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 boom. Like, oh, wow, this... He's thinking, man, everyone here, this girl's touched your life. He turned the corner, he went inside, he's about to go in his office just to get everything together. And he met some people standing in the office, they're crying. He said, hey, did you know Annie Graham? They said, did we know her? Listen. And they he pulled out the same track that the first man showed. And they said, hey, see this? That little girl, Annie, read this to us. And she told us, if we don't get saved, we're going to go to hell. And that bothered our hearts to hear that from a little 10-year-old girl. And they said, listen, that little girl read the tractors and told us how to be saved. And we trusted Jesus Christ, our Savior. It was like that for the next 20 minutes before he went to the pulpit. By the time the pastor mounted the pulpit, the room was filled and overflowing. The crowds were still around the block. Everyone was out there. And people, they gave time for testimony. And the testimonies didn't stop. But everyone talking about how little Annie Graham touched the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people in a one year's time. Rahab substantiated she was a follower. When roll calls done in heaven, can it be said we substantiate we were a follower? We see Rahab and her sinful fame. We see Rahab in her saving faith. We see Rahab, she substantiated herself as a follower. And as we close, would you notice very simply this morning, would you notice we see Rahab and a satisfying future? And I want you to notice two verses and we're done. Go with me to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 25. <clears throat> Joshua 6 verse 25. We're fast forwarding. We'll, we'll talk about this chapter when we get to it. Joshua has led the children of Israel to conquer Jericho. Actually, God conquered the city. They didn't have to do anything. God did it. Amen. And the Bible tells us that the two spies were told to go back and they said, okay, we've got to look for the scarlet cord. Because out of all the pagans in the city, the only thing that's going to identify that this woman was saved, that she's going to be preserved, will be the scarlet cord. By the way, aren't you glad that when God looks at you and me, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you and me? 
And in Joshua 6.25, the Bible says, And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the message which Joshua sent to spout Jericho. I like what it says in verse 25. It says, Joshua saved the harlot Rahab alive. Hey, listen, once you're saved, you're always saved. You don't do the saving as God who does the saving. But notice Hebrews 11.31. Notice Hebrews 11.31. By faith, the harlot Rahab. What are the next words? Perish not with them that believe not. Now fast forward with me. And watch what happens here. First of all, that emphasizes the eternal security of every believer. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not see condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Hey, he that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. I want to tell you this morning, if you have any fears of whether or not you're saved, let me tell you, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, you are saved. She perished not. John 3.16, would you listen to what the Bible says? For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. perish. She'd perish not. And we read this. Years later, we still read about the faith of Rahab. She's remarkable. (laughs) That means God can take anybody in this room. You can be remarkable because of your faith. He can save you. He can wash away your sins. And isn't it interesting? We get to Matthew chapter 1. And Rahab is listed in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. David was a great grandson, I believe, of Rahab. He had a satisfying future. You know what? You get saved. It just gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Because every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I'm going to encourage you this morning and we're done. If you're not saved today, I invite you this morning, just like Rahab did. Put your faith and trust in the salvation that the God of all the universe provides to you. He can save you this morning. Don't hold out. Don't hold out. Call on the Lord to save you this morning. Secondly, I want to call on us as Christians this morning to have the faith like a Rahab. To show our connection. To show our commitment. And demonstrate compassion. And I'm praying by next Sunday that cross over there is going to be wrapped with layers of ribbons. Of people of compassion for someone they're saying pray for this person that they get saved. Pray with me, preacher, that they'll be in church on March 31st, April 1st. And I pray this morning that maybe just we need the encouragement to take that next step, just like Rahab did, to show that we have a faith that believes in God, but serves God and lives for God. Father, this morning, thank you today for remarkable Rahab. Her faith is a demonstration that anybody can get saved. God is not a respecter of persons. God, how you visited that city of Jericho and brought the gospel to her. And Lord, you want others to feel the same way, that they can be saved. And Lord, if you could use Rahab, how much more that, God, you are willing to use all of us. And today, as we give an invitation to accept, to receive, to respond, help us this morning. To sense that she did the acute conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there are some hearts that are melting. Maybe there are some this morning, they're moved. There's, there's riveting in their souls because they know they need to get saved. 
They know they need to take a stand for the Lord. They know they need to be bold in Christ. Help us this morning to do that today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. How many Christians would say this morning, Pastor, God spoke to me today as a Christian that I need to be a greater follower of you. I need to have show my connection. I need to show that I'm committed. I need to show that I've got greater compassion. I've got someone in my heart I'm praying for that will be at the Easter musical on April 1st. And you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I've got a request. Pray for me today that God will help me to be that kind of father. Thank you for your hands are up. Who else today? God, help me today that I'll have that kind of a faith this morning. Now, how many would say today, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I recognize that the judgment of God is on this world for everyone who's not a believer. But I want to be saved today. I want to know for sure that if I leave this life, that heaven's my home. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? You'd raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to know for sure that I'm saved and going to heaven. I want to know for sure how to go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Father, we love you this morning. Please, I pray that you would stir our hearts to obey you and follow you now. As the Spirit compels us, help us to obey you. Invitations being made. Help those who need to come to come. And we'll pray for this in Jesus' name. Before I ask you to stand, the invitation means this. Lord, the Lord's moving your heart. You need to take a moment to pray. Or you need someone to pray with you. Or you want to know for sure how to be saved or how to take the next step in your connection with the Lord. Come forward this morning. Come forward with boldness and courage. And one of our altar workers will lovingly take the Bible and show you those answers you need. In a moment, we're going to give the invitation. As we stand, make your way out. Don't wait for the first person. You be the first person. You never know. You might be the catalyst for other people. You come. Christian, God's work in your heart. You come this morning and find your way. Let's stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You come. Who's the first to come? You need to come this morning. You need to join the church. Take the next step of scriptural baptism. Show your connection to the Lord. Why don't you come right now? We invite you to come. Several have come. Would you come this morning? The Lord's stirring your heart. Are you, a, are you a substantiated follower? Do the people at work know that you're saved? Do people at school know that you're saved? I wonder how many students this week, when there was a lockdown at the San Leandro High School and John Muir Middle School, I wonder how many students took the opportunity to, say, to share with your friends that you know for sure that if something bad happens, you know you're going to heaven. I wonder how many of us this morning would realize that we live in the midst of a pagan nation. Going farther from God, not nearer to God. And the importance of drawing near to the Lord and, and pointing our friends and our, and our city and our people to Christ. I wonder how many of us this morning would be moved with that compassion to do that. Would you come this morning? Father, all around the auditorium this morning, we're touched by the life of Rahab. What a wonderful testimony. What an outstanding testimony. The Bible records her by faith. The harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she sent out the spies another way. God, she showed such great commitment to the message. She showed great commitment to the cause of Christ. And today, Lord, move us to be like Rahab, who, Lord, didn't think about herself. She just thought about what would glorify the Lord. Help us, Lord, to realize our lives can count and make a difference for Christ. Lord, as you've moved in our hearts, as decisions have been made, we ask this morning to be glorified in this. Some still may need Christ today. They've not made that decision to trust in him. I pray today you'd work mightily in their hearts. We pray for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated while people are still praying. We can be seated right now. I'm gonna, we're going to show the Connect video to get you updated about our Easter musical and things. And then, Brother Joel Chan, you come and close us in prayer if you would, please. Be here tonight, Sunday night service, 515. Men, you join me at 5 o'clock over there. Let's just meet over there in the, in the room app. Men, meet me in the room app for a prayer time before the service. We look forward to seeing you there.